Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Above the Bar podcast, where each week we belly up to the bar with a new guest, find out what they do, who they are, and what makes them great. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Alrighty, folks, it's your host, John. We belly back up to the bar here. It's Wednesday. I don't even know what day. Of the week. I think it's what day. Oh, it's January twenty fourth. I forgot what day of the week it was. So we've bellied back up to the bar. It must be like service month because we had another Marine two weeks ago and Marine before that, a week before that. So today we brought a cab driver with us. And if you don't know what that is, that would be a sailor. So because they drive the big gray taxis. And if you've heard me talk about my grandfather, he always said, "As Marines, we look like bellhops." So. We had to bring bring a sailor out out here with us, but joining us, and I need to ask him where he's at. He's probably, I mean, that's probably one of the better backgrounds I've seen it in a while. It looks very professional. So if you're not on our live, make sure you, you get you're checking that out. A very very clean look to it. Joining us from, and he'll tell us here in a minute wherever he's at, Mister Michael Cinquino. Yeah, uh, Sean, thanks for having me on, man. Absolutely, brother. So. Where are you at? I forgot. I'm in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Uh, so you're not far from me at all. Where are you? I, I don't even know where you're at. Albany, New York. Oh, no shit. Okay. Yeah, you're not so far. So we know the cold, man. Oh, yeah. Like, well, I know you know the cold. We get cold. It's like, eh, it's like 25. It's like everybody was like, eh, it's balmy. It's 35 degrees out today. You guys have like it. But you guys also, like, I think, what is it? Bar Harbor, Maine is one of those weird ones that the jet... Welcome to Weather Talk with Sean, where the yeah. <laughs> comes real close to the shores there, so they don't get the crazy cold and snow like the rest of the state does. Because they, get you, you know, we're we're actually new to New Hampshire. I'm from New York, what so, part? Brooklyn. So we moved from Brooklyn, New York, to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and kind of 2021. Really came out here in 2020, moved here in 2021, and it's a little bit different than living in Brooklyn. I got to yeah, say, I think you mean you can't walk two blocks in any direction and, and find anything you need. No, you have to drive everywhere yeah. now. Well, you have, well, so here's the thing, Sean. So it is close proximity stuff, but there's just something about walking like three quarters of a mile, not in a city where you automatically look like a hobo. Yeah. Meaning like, you know what I'm saying? Like I visited Texas. It's like, I'm like, it's like, it's like six city blocks, but you're the only guy walking on the side of the road. Yeah, six yeah, city yeah. blocks. Yeah, so nobody you, else. You, yeah. So you, you yeah. look like a hitcher or drifter or pobo or something like that. So while there is the proximity, you gotta get in the car. The police are gonna stop you and wonder what you're doing. Yeah, no, I understand completely. Exactly. Well, we're gonna get into more of this talk here in a moment, folks, but let's go ahead and, and do some quick house cleaning as we always should. So, as always, over my right shoulder, we got the big board for sticker and a cause. Maybe you've got your own podcast, you've got your own speaking engagements, business band. I don't care what it is. Reach out to me on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, X, Twitch, Instagram, TikTok, even our email. It's all the above the bar podcast at gmail.com for our email. Reach out. Let me know what you got going on. I'll give you the address where to send your stuff to. You send it out to me. We read about it free here on the air. As you can see, it's a big week coming up also. We've got the big Raven sign on the big sticker and a cause board. So let's see what happens with that. I'm not going to say much. Because I don't want to jinx myself. Joining us over on Instagram, I can see you guys on Instagram, Stacy and Daniel. How are you guys doing over there? If everybody knows now, I look to the left because I got inst- Instagram. Like it's weird. Instagram people can talk to me over here, but they can't message me like everybody else does. I have to see their messages over here. It's a whole thing with them. But the other side to this is. We got to always talk about our sponsors, and that's Budget Blinds of East Greenbush and Budget Blinds of Hudson and Cooksaki, New York. Way, would you? What would you consider Albany? Is it is it upstate or is it? What do you call it? Well, that's got to be upstate, right? No, see, I don't. I, I don't call it upstate. After living here long enough, if you're not like up by Lake Placid and above, yes, that's. I guess the lower you are, the more upstate it is. So I was born in yeah. Rockland County, New York. Okay, so that, that's like that's like right over the new jersey border and even i guess like i never know i'm like am i was i born upstate in rockland county see, it's see, like eight like, miles see that's like the people if you're in westchester county or not westchester county but uh 
Yonkers, you're upstate to some of those people. It's like, no, it fucking, it's like a suburb of the city. But nonetheless, our our sponsors, Budget Blinds of East Greenbush and Budget Blinds of Hudson and Cooksocky, New York, the largest custom window treatment company in the world. They have operations in Canada and the United States. And coming up in the month of February, so just next month, they are offering a buy two, get one free sale on window treatments. That means custom window treatments, custom to your home. We're talking roller shades, honeycomb shades, Roman shades, you name it. They have it there for you to take a look at. They bring the product to your home, show it to you in your home, measure for you. The consultation is free. And the biggest thing about it, folks, is it's all in your home. We're not talking about, oh, let me go to the store. Maybe they'll give me a sample. Maybe I can take it into somewhere. We're talking about being able to bring this stuff right to you. And already, Michael, uh, I miss Caitlin. Caitlin's here. She says she's a fangirl. So, Caitlin, how are you? Thank you for joining us. But make sure you're reaching out to Budget Blinds of East Greenbush and Budget Blinds of Hudson and Cooksaki, New York, your your number one place for window treatments, and let them know you're there to belly up to the bar. All right, it's all done, Michael. All that's brilliant, man. All right, all, all that's handled for now. So let's kind of get into this. So make sure I got this right. Navy vet, we'll find out yep. what, what your what your rate was. We'll figure that out here in a minute. Like, see, that's again, that's one of those things. You got to speak the lingo, folks. Find out what your rate was, but you've been an actor. You've directed. You have your master's from Rutgers. What else do we, we got here? I'm an adjunct professor at St. at Paul College in New Hampshire. You've got Soho Creative Studios, a co-founder there. Am I missing anything? Oh, lots. All right. Well, tell me what I'm missing then, brother. No, nothing, man. Um, Yeah, I'm a a weird. I always like to say that if you try to make sense of my life path, you're probably going to injure yourself. I don't I don't make any sense, man. To to a rational mind, I guess, maybe to an emotional mind, I might make sense, but not to a rational mind. Uh, Funny, uh, you know, you kind of took me back to uh, high school. when you when you call the the Navy guys um the cab drivers because a few good men was one of my favorite films movie. and uh, Kiefer Sutherland's character when Tom Cruise asks him you know have I done something to offend you and Kiefer Sutherland as a as a captain or whatnot or or junior lieutenant he's like no I love all you Navy boys every time we go someplace to fight you fellas always give us a ride that's it. Uh, that's it, man. And uh, you know, a bunch of a bunch of movies actually. Navy SEALs, which is so not true to life. Not a great film. Not a great film, but it was an inspiring film. So actually, I in high school, I was a big screw up, man. A real, real, real big screw up. I barely graduated high school. Like I think I think I missed like 40 days of my senior year or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 40 but, out of 180. I mean it kind of man. Yeah, it, it wasn't good. I in fact I don't really think. What's that? I said, do the math, folks. That's over twenty percent of the yeah, time it's a lot. that you missed. That's pretty good. Uh, I, I think they really just wanted me out of there. So you know, I kind of knew that college at the time wasn't in the cards for me, man. So uh, I decided I was going to go into the military. And a buddy of mine and I signed up for the Navy, and and we were going to be Navy SEALs because I saw the movie and saw a few good men and Top Gun, and I knew it would be just like that that they showed just you. Like- so I showed up to boot camp and I realized very quickly that if you're going to be a Navy SEAL, you're not going to sleep at all, at least for a very long time. And sleep deprivation and myself do not get along. So that was that was right. And I'm sure as, as a Marine, I mean, forget about it, right? I mean, did they deprive you guys of sleep as well? And, oh, and, and God. I mean, that was boot camp. That was just boot camp. Go, go to bed at eight o'clock at, at night by eight. You're up by anywhere between four to five in the morning. And probably somewhere in the middle of the night, you had to be woken up to stand an hour of fire watch. Yeah, all that shit. My thing, I tell you, you'll appreciate this. I used to, so I recruited for 12 of my 20 years. Oh, wow. And I used to get these kids that would come in my office and they'd be like, yeah, so I'm either going to join the Marine Corps and I'm thinking like force recon or something like that. I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. I mean, I think like one of those two, because, you know, I play soccer and I'm like, Listen, kid, get out of my office first. And I <laughs> like that was the best recruiting tool I have. Get out of my office. And they'd be like, What? Like, get the fuck out of my office. You're not, I don't want you. Get away from me. But it used to be funny. They would tell me they were going to be Navy SEALs. And I would tell them, Do you understand that that's like 
going and playing t-ball today and thinking you're going to be a new york yankee tomorrow and they would be like what i'm like listen those dudes are badass i mean and we're talking long before you have the david goggins of the world that are like just listen i did everything like hey gotcha david you're an amazing dude you're a psychopath 100 percent psychopath but i'm with you brother so so you go off the navy boot camp you realize that and that's a cold ass place too. Like I'm gonna give you all that. Like we're we're sweating our asses off. Y'all are frozen up there, dude. You know it's funny. A lot of people might not know this, but Navy boot camps in Chicago, yeah. which sounds weird because it's the U.S. Navy. So it ain't it ain't on the Atlantic Ocean, ain't on the Pacific Ocean. It's in it's in Great Lakes, Illinois, which is like right on Lake Michigan. Uh, so yes, it was cold. It wasn't too bad, man. I went in September, so uh, it wasn't too too bad. But you know, long Navy story short. Uh, I got sent out to the fleet. I got assigned to the USS Detroit, which was a, a fast combat support ship, but it's really not a fast ship because it's just a big oil tanker. So uh, I, <laughs> I, we, so basically my ship fueled and supplied munitions to the rest of the fleet. So in the battle group, we were pumping fuel to the aircraft carrier, to the amphib ships that the Marines were on or, or, or to the cruisers and so on. So we worked a lot. It was like one of the worst ships to, to get in the fleet, <laughs> but I got it. And uh, yeah, I, I got stuck behind a desk and I thought to myself, you know, I didn't sign up for the Navy for four years to be behind a desk. So um, every ship needed two rescue swimmers. So I was like, well, that seems like something I'd be interested in. So I, I volunteered for that. They auditioned, I guess that's what you call it, a bunch of guys. Two of us got to go. I went down to Jacksonville, Florida for rescue swimmer school. And right. I came back to the ship as a rescue swimmer, which was really neat. Didn't do a lot of stuff. Us surface rescue swimmers are not as active as the guys in the helicopters. The aviation guys are going out all the time. But yeah, man, I, I, I you know, for anybody out there, I, I, the Navy was one of the best things I ever did, man. I, I, I certainly wouldn't be here with you right now if I didn't join the service. I understand that completely. It, it's, you know, and I know what it was for me, but I got to ask this question before we move on to life afterwards. What was it for you that really like about the Navy that you kind of say, Hey, this set me on today's path. Hmm. I just got goosebumps when you said that. You know, I don't know if it's exactly one thing, Sean, but here's like the things that come to mind. Well, first of all, I got very lucky in that one of my early captains on the ship was a fit, former commanding officer of Top Gun. And oh, I'll wow. never forget it. So he was the guy that did the flyby in the F-14 in the original Top Gun. Oh, no shit. Yeah. So this guy was a real bad. He was a Cold War F-14 fighter pilot, man. And this guy was a badass. And when he came to, the, and I, I watched something happen. I watched something happen that was remarkable. When I got to the ship, it was I got flown out. So I got I flew from Philadelphia to Sigonella, Sicily, as a nineteen-year-old. I know Sigonella. Yeah, I know Sigonella. Okay, it was first from Spain. What's the name of the bar there? The Penguin on Sigonella. I, I, I mean, I've been there so many times, man. I forget I what that was. The E Club was the Penguin, which was so was odd. Was in, in Sigonella, it was the Penguin. I think. Yeah, and on the yeah, base, right? Yeah, no, no, base. no, man. You're bringing back like memories. Um, Zamadalena. What's that? Zamadalena. Did you ever go to Zamadalena? I don't know if I have. That was a sub tender base. That was the only time we crossed deck between our, I was on the Pensacola. We pulled up next to it and we had to cross their ship to get onto the shore. And they used, they used, there was Navy guys that had their license to run. They weren't LCACs, but they were like a civilian version to mm -hmm. run people from this little tiny base over to the main shore in Zamadalena, Italy. I'm sorry. We're talking. I told you, man, we're going to make left turns into, into like Dude, all, stories. Yeah, man, I'm all for it. But to answer, to answer your question. Yes. So this guy came on the ship and the, 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 uh, the uh, nickname for the ship at the time was the dirty D. And when I showed up at this ship, dude, I mean, it's almost as big as an aircraft carrier. Like, dude, and it was like this bucket of rust. And I, I literally, the first thing, so when I looked up the brow and I had to climb up this thing with my sea bag and this stuff, and the ladders on ships, if people don't know, I mean, they're like, they're like Scary. this, man. Yeah, you don't, you, it takes you a, a couple days to understand that you actually go down front ways and you don't go, you, the instinct is to go down backwards so you don't die. But you right. actually go down front ways. And I remember looking at this ship and, and the first thought in my head was, I'm going to die. I'm like, this is it. I'm done. And everybody's kind of miserable. It was like three quarters of the way through a Mediterranean deployment. Oh, they were ready to come home. They were done, man. Like, and I was like, I just, here's the new guy that rolls up three quarters of the way through, didn't have to do the whole deployment. So they love me. But yeah, so this, so we got back and we switched captains. We had a change of command and this guy came on board 
And this guy was, a. I learned more about leadership from this guy in, in like six months than I think I've learned since, man. And wow. he said, we're not the dirty D anymore. We're the fighting tiger. And like, he's like, that's it. And he's like, he's like, we're not an oiler. He's like, we're a battle oiler. He's like, so if you think we're going to be hanging back while the missile destroyers are going up, he's like, no, 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 we're going to be right beside them. And he whipped this ship into shape. And I'll never forget, like he, he would make people, he made people very, very quickly, really proud to be in the Navy and really proud to be on the ship. And everybody was at the top of their game with this guy. So for me, I learned about leadership and what that looked like from a guy who, who, you know, and also, man, like, I mean, I, I know you know this as a Marine, of course, like in real high stakes environments, like, you know, a ship shipyard, I worked on the air, I worked on the flight deck. That's one of the most dangerous places in the Absolutely. world to work. And like, you know, mistakes are like people get, you know, and as a rescue swimmer, they would tell us with the manual, they're like, they're like, every warning you read in here is written in blood. And we're like, what does that mean? As 19 year old me, what, what does that mean? <laughs> like, you know, like, it means that someone was either killed or seriously injured as a result of this rule having to now be written kind of thing. Yep. So being able to play at a high stakes, world class, high stakes environment as a 19 year old. And then also I learned, man, that professionalism had nothing to do with your age or how much money you were making. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. That is so hard to get people to understand. You know, folks, if you're just joining us right now, I know there's a few people out there. You can check Michael out on Instagram. That's probably the best place. He does have a LinkedIn also, but it's Michael Cinquino, C-I-N-Q-U-I-N-O, and to make him feel better, Charlie India November, Quebec Uniform India November Oscar. You can, Just to make him feel better. We're going to do this all night, folks. We're just going to talk just for the two of us. And if you're finding me through Michael or Michael through me, make sure you're giving us that like at art, sharing this on your Facebook or your LinkedIn, wherever you're watching us so that other people know that this is going on. It should be on every yard sale site that you can find, find so that they finally kick me off of all of them. So please take a moment and do those things. It's that important to me. So you, so what, so you were, you're a rescue swimmer, but what was your actual rate? If you don't mind. I was asking. a PN man. I was, I was in personnel. I was a secretary. Okay. So you're at like, at, so what we would call an admin. An I was admin. Yeah. Admin. You yeah. call it O1 in the Marine Corps. And, yep. and look folks, that's a whole nother story. Maybe one day and, we'll get and, it, and, it, and it's an interesting story and I'll tell you why that was. So if you were going to be a Navy SEAL, there was only at the time they have different ratings now, but if you were going to be a Navy SEAL, you had to qualify to be a certain rating. So when you took the ASVAB, which is like the SATs for the military, you get a certain score. And then they say, well, okay, you're smart enough to be, you know, this rating. And I'm like, well, I want to be a Navy SEAL. So, you know, so PN was the only thing that I qualified for. The only, it, was, it was either that or I almost went into the Marines to be an uh, aviation uh, electronics technician. I have no idea how I qualified to do that. So um, that's what, that was my job, avionics on 53s. That's what I did. So I did my first four years as a motor team mechanic, broke everything I touched. I was horrible at it. But again, back to that 19 year old, I was 19, probably didn't have the, as odd as it says, sounds, I didn't have the maturity level to fix things mm. as odd as that sounds. But when I moved on and re-enlisted and I went into avionics, my mindset had changed and I was a little more mature. I was in an artillery unit for my first four years very different mindset but it's funny you talk about leadership so so leadership in when when you first came out and you're and I and I want to talk about that transition for a minute you know and folks we're going to get into you know generating meaningful attention to your brand which is a huge thing for Michael and this is what where where he his driving force today is but I want to talk about that leadership for a moment of how did what was your experience from a leadership standpoint? Because again, you you know, you talk about a Cold War, Top Gun pilot, ice in that dude's veins. He experienced, you know, he lived in a world where he was flying on the edge of the bad guys and having to kind of push them back during a time where both sides, you know, we've all done it, was trying to see, well, how far can I get into your into your personal space to getting out and thinking remember you know as a you were an admin guy you had millions you had people's personal information you knew more about personnel on that on that boat than probably the ex or the co did because you saw it every day to getting out what was that transition for leadership like for you well my transition out of the navy was very very difficult 
I was not aware of what anxiety or panic was. And I had my first full-blown panic attack very soon after I got out of the Navy. So leadership kind of went out the window for me. And so, so, okay, so here's the thing, man, just to back up a little bit. I've suffered from anxiety my whole life. And I learned at a very young age, that age being 15, uh, and I didn't know what anxiety was. I discovered alcohol. And thank you. I had to undiscover it eventually. But I do not. I do not. If you drink, you should enjoy your drink. So I started self-medicating when I was 15, not knowing that I was what I was basically doing was just I was feeling anxious. So I have a drink and I, I drank my way through high school and then I got in the Navy and I couldn't drink on the ship. So I was right. like, oh, how am I going to like And none of this is conscious. It's all subconscious. So I'm like, well, how am I going to survive? So I started to uh, literally abuse exercise and I would, I would, I, my, my resting heart rate was something like 44 beats a minute. And if you know anything about that, Lance Armstrong hangs out around 38. So, you know, so you were was, a I was, junkie. I was ju- that's all I would do, man. Like I would lit like, so we'd have an hour for lunch or I'd wake up in the morning and do it. I have an hour for lunch. I get right out of my uniform. I throw my shorts on. I bl- I'd blast on the bike or elliptical for like 30 minutes. I get right back into my uniform, pouring sweat, go to the mess hall, get food and get right back to my desk. And then I would do a, you know, workouts later, but yeah, I was a junkie. And that's when I left, you know, I started drinking again. I was still, you know, abusing exercise and dude, I just, I fell apart. Uh, I went right to college. So I went right to Penn state university, a a satellite campus of Penn state. So when I got out, like I I was just kind of blinded by, by the anxiety and I couldn't walk from like my car to class without having like a full blown panic attack. And I didn't even know what was going on with me, man. I had no, no words for it. And when I finally was driving my car one day back from a pool, I like totally hyperventilated. I thought I was dying. I called 911. The, the paramedics show up. And I don't, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been there yourself, but if you've ever been injured and you've looked up at people, you can tell either if they're worried or not. And you kind of get a sense of it. Or You know what I'm saying? Have you How ever been bad there? am I right now? Yeah. 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 And you can kind of see what, if they're like trying to play it cool and you're really screwed up or like you're like, this guy's good. I immediately sensed three guys, really great guys. They're like, they just go to me in the, the, the ambulance. They're like, man, sorry, we're going to have to chalk this up on nerves. And I was like, no. I was like Robert De Niro. I was like, I had a heart attack. I know I had a heart attack. And I get to the emergency room and the doctor's like, no, 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 you, you had a panic attack. It's anxiety. It's very common. And I didn't know what to do. And I did. And that began like, I was like, okay. I'm like, so what do I do? And that was really, I only bring that up and kind of override the leadership question because that was the most prominent thing that happened. And that began a journey of having to deal with that on my own without really any tools, um, except for exercise and alcohol. But, but no, I get that. Like my first one, when I was on active duty, I I didn't know what was going on. And I mentioned to a buddy of mine, Doc Correa, he was a PA in the Navy. I'll tell you his story. It's pretty impressive. I said to him, Hey, I'm having this problem. You know, I'm having heart palpitations, getting shortness of breath. He goes, you're having panic attacks. I was like, I'm like, I'm like, John, because we trained and I keep it together. I'm a, I'm a staff sergeant at the time. I'm like, John, I'm not fucking panicking about anything. Do you not know who I am? He goes, listen, Murph, it's a panic attack. He goes, next time it happens, I want you to think about what you're thinking about. Mm. Meaning like, Hey, this is happening. Think about it. And I didn't. I went, son of a bitch. There was a, I had a kid on deck for, for processing. And he's, I was like, okay, so this is what I got to, to figure out. And it was funny that you mentioned PT. I had an uncle who had it and he had a doctor tell him that's one of the worst things you can do when having a panic attack is work out. He said, because you're now training your body that when you're having a panic attack to run. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you right now that the, the best thing for me, at least that I've learned is l- to do nothing with the panic attack. Absolutely. Positively. No, that's it. Don't do anything. It. Just don't do relax. anything. It will pass, but don't run. Don't fight. Don't seek reassurance. And it's, it's easy to say because the anxiety is telling you to run, to seek reassurance and to do something. So, and especially as a male who likes to take action, the idea of doing nothing is, doesn't really seem to make any sense on a, on a, you know, a logical level. So for anybody out there that suffers, I mean, we're all, we're all different, but 
learning to let go and do nothing is it can be a way out. You're absolutely right. So, so you go through this, you're going to college. What's your first, you know, like, you know, as, as we're getting closer to, to where we are today and, you know, the Soho creative and, and, and all these things, how do we start moving that direction? Yeah. So I thought I wanted to study psychology because I was fascinated by human behavior. I met a girl at Penn State. I liked her. She was an actress. She said, you know, I think you'd be a good actor. You should audition for this play. And I was like, well, if it's going to get me a date with you, I'll audition for the play. Sure. Uh, (laughs) And it did. And I auditioned for this play, man. And, you know, I loved movies, but I never thought about acting. And I love cracking people up, but I never thought about a career in acting. And uh, I got cast. I got cast in this play. It was a comedy. I I did something on stage opening night. The audience laughed. They loved it. I felt what that felt like to receive that. And I was like, okay, that's it. I'm changing my major. I'm going into acting. So I went and got an undergraduate degree in theater. Then on my way to New York to to be an actor, I I did this uh, unified audition where you can audition for a bunch of graduate schools. And I didn't want to go to graduate school. And and this is kind of leading into Soho Creative and some of the, the work I do now, you know, because I believe everything's kind of an audition. And the worst thing you can do in an audition is try to get the job. And I was going into this audition. I wasn't trying to go to graduate school, man. I was like, I was very well prepared. I had two good monologues. So I just went in the room and had a good time, not trying to hold on to the result, doing a good job, but not holding on to the result. And everybody in the room wanted to talk to me. And for someone that just came out of undergrad, where they're like, here's why you suck all the time, hearing people call me talented for the first time and awesome, that was, you know, my head got huge. And this one school, Rutgers University, uh, Deborah Headwall, is one of the better programs in the country. Uh, William Esper was still alive at the time. Uh, He was one of the best acting teachers in the nation for a long time. It was his program. Uh, I went into that class there. She invited me in to watch. I saw acting that I had never seen before in my life. This is spontaneous, moment to moment, captivating acting in this just white room. And I was like, I'm in, I'm coming here. So I did three years at Rutgers and got a master's degree at acting. Went right to New York City two weeks after graduate school. Did not make it as an actor at first. Fell heavily into drinking and all kinds of things. New York, New York is, a, is a, there's a little meme for New York. It's like the Statue of Liberty with her arm around a guy. And she's like, hello, friend. And she's punching him in the face at the same time. <laughs> so that's kind of my experience. It's like, come on over here. And like, bang, right in the face. And then my life was kind of saved. A camera fell into my lap. A DSLR. A, uh, like a digital physically camera. Or like like, like kind of physically, like not from the sky, but someone gave me a, a camera. And I, I didn't know anything about photography. And I, I very quickly became obsessed with photography, like obsessed. And it was uh, early 2000s in New York. So there's no Instagram, barely any Facebook. It's all kind of networking, real New York still. And I accidentally became a professional photographer for a decade in the I city. I called it real New York. I, I love that that terminology. Now, any of that on your at Michael Cinquino, C-I-N-Q-U-I-N-O Instagram that people could yep. see these photos? Yep, yep. A little bit of, little bit of photography there. So, you like know, I'll so far. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. So and simultaneously, something else happened. I fell into working, I fell into something else, working with this kind of, um, I don't want to say secret, but it was kind of a non-advertised IT think tank. And I knew nothing, dude, I got theater degrees, man. I know nothing right. about this. So I, I fell into working with this really high-end tech organization that did consulting for Fortune 70 chief information officers and above. So like Boeing, Disney, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, like the biggest companies on the planet. So I didn't know what the heck was going on. My, my friend worked there. She's like, Hey, we need a guy who like knows like hotels and restaurants because I was a waiter in New York for a lot of years. I'm like, okay, I can do that. But dude, I had no idea, man. I've eaten sandwiches before. I know about food. I've poured beers. I know. So I got fell into this thing and I learned about business and I learned about tech consulting at the highest levels of, of commerce. I, I, I learned about technology and running a business and client relations. And it was kind of like a mini MBA, man. So I applied all that to my photography business and we'll, we'll just jump ahead a little bit here. So 2020 right. comes along and it's, it's March of 2020. I have a studio rental business in Soho. 
I'm a photographer, I'm a videographer, and I'm coaching people. I do presentation coaching, public speaking co coaching. I've kind of parlayed my, my actor training to help people be more confident, clear, and compelling communicators. And I coach startup founders and, and, and CEO types and executives and stuff like that. So I had all that going on for me. And then on March 18th or something like that, 2020, I closed the door to my studio and went inside our Brooklyn apartment and did not leave the front door for about 60 days. Wow. And the business went away because I was deemed non-essential by the state of New York, a non-essential worker. My partner lost her job. So we're sitting in our Brooklyn apartment that we just bought because what's going to ever happen in New York? Right. And then we were stuck there and could not work. We're not permitted to work. So I started to Google around to find other options. And, you know, at the time, the restrictions were vastly different depending upon what state you were in. hundred percent. I was here in New York with you. So I yeah. know what you mean. Yeah. So I Googled two things. If I'm being, this is above the bar. So I'll be above the bar. Be above, be above the bar about it. Let's do I it. I Googled two things. Now, the first thing I Googled are what are the states with the most respect for constitutional rights? Number one. <laughs> And then the second thing I Googled that I know that. Yeah. And the second thing I Googled was uh, what are the states that are the best for small business growth? And New Hampshire kept coming at, up at the top of all these lists. So we visited New Hampshire in 2020, the summer. We're like, this is an interesting place. It was a real tough sell for my partner because she's a Queens girl. And <laughs> going from the most diverse place on the planet to one of the whitest states in the whole, you know, country was that a was, was a big ask. Yeah, that's that's definitely go, going from because correct me, but that particular borough, isn't that the one that they say there's somebody from every nation on the planet there or, or something along those lines? It's my understanding that there are more dialects spoken in Queens, the borough there of Queens, than anywhere else on the planet Earth, period. That, like, that's just isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's that's one of those ones where and now you're in New Hampshire. Yeah, where they have the true New England accent, like the truest form of the New England accent that you could possibly have. And wow. So now how does that become Soho creative? Yeah. So my partner, Rebecca and I, and a very a good friend, colleague Taylor, we're all looking to kind of reinvent ourselves and we kind of pooled our expertise and Rebecca's a brilliant designer. Taylor's an incredible writer, PR person. I'm, I'm a great visual artist and storyteller. So we're like, why don't we birth a branding agency and see where that takes us? So that's what we did in 2020. We rebirthed Soho Creative because Soho Creative was originally a rental space in Soho. So oh, we, re yeah, we re rebirthed the second iteration of Soho as a branding agency. And as way leads on to way, man, we learned that we have a really good knack for helping brands communicate their value. Sometimes that's on a website. Sometimes that's through photos and videos. Sometimes that's through copywriting. Oftentimes it's all three of those things. And what we've really come into now, Sean, is something called employer branding, which is a little bit of a new term. Yeah, I know you tilted your head. That's what most people yeah, do. Yeah, I, I had to give it the nipper. I had to give it, and that's the RCA dog, folks. I had to give it the nipper for a minute. I haven't heard that before. Yeah, most people haven't. It's the idea that you have to market as aggressively to potential employees as you would a potential client or customer. So it's uh -huh. like and it's like advertising to work for you kind of thing. And you know, when we live in that a world, it pretty cool, right? Yeah. No, it's something that we kind of stumbled into and realized that we had a knack for. So so really like kind of bringing this thing to 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 talking about uh, how to attract meaningful attention. What what we came to, Sean, is that I really believe that a thriving business or even life for that matter is the result of meaningful relationships. And the more meaningful your relationships, the better your life tends to be. And so then the question is like, well, what's a meaningful relationship and how do those happen? Well, those happen, I believe, through promises kept. I made a promise today to show up on your podcast at eight o'clock, right? And I, I showed up. If I were not to do that, the likelihood that we'd have a meaningful relationship. Slim's <laughs> probably left the building, yes. Yeah, that would be over especially because it's our first meeting. So uh, we've learned that from a, a human science perspective, that it's actually better to make a promise and keep it than just to do a favor for someone. What do you so mean? if you want, so if you want to grow a relationship, it always means more for me to say, Sean, I'll see you at eight o'clock, man, at the bar and then show up 
rather than me just showing up at your house with like a, a six pack of beer. There's something about making a promise, you going, okay, he's going to make this promise and then keeping that promise that does a really wonderful thing for human relationships. Now, so these promises come, come in many forms and they have to be, they have to be a couple things. They have to be measurable and they have to be demonstrable, meaning that you have to show somebody that this thing happened. Pretty cool story. So we had a bat in our apartment. <laughs> Nothing cool about this so far. So we're not, we're not Dude. cool right yet. So let me hear uh, this. We had a bat in our apartment and the, and the exterminator shows up and the name of the exterminating company was pest end. And I was like, that is a demonstrable promise. Your promise to me is that you're going to come in and end any pest. My pet problem. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so when you, th so basically what happened, meaningful relationships happen because a promise is kept. Well then, the, so where do we come in? And how do you uh, generate meaningful attention? Well, how do promises happen? We'll take our relationship right now, man. We reached out to you. We saw your podcast. I was like, this guy's cool. Let's see if we can get on the show. So we had to communicate to you and say, hey, this is who Michael is. This is the stuff he talks about. If this is of interest to you, here you go. So how you communicate a promise or how you communicate in an efficient, effective, and compelling manner is going to get you kind of in the door huge uh, it's funny you mentioned about the time and everything it look behind the curtain most people don't realize that most of my guests i don't like we might email back and forth but we've never talked until this moment and I, it's it's some people don't when i explain it to them I'm like they're like why don't you i don't want to and they're like why don't you want to because i want to be as surprised with the stories as you are if i already know the stories i don't want to hear it but at the same time i've had guests where we're up to the last minute and, and Nate's got a question for you. I'll throw it out there in a minute, but Nate's a good friend of mine. Cody's a good friend of mine where I've had to reach out to them and they've got great contacts or they're, they're great guests where I'm like, what are you doing right now? And they're like, put my PJs on getting ready for bed. No, you're not. You're coming on a podcast. And they're like, Oh shit. <laughs> because people, but I will. And I promise you, if somebody said to me, Hey, would you have this person on as a guest? No, there's a guy right now who blew me off. And tried to get me to change the time. He does about, he probably got about a million or some downloads. If he asked me to come on my show now, I'd be like, nah, man, we good. And I don't give a shit because this is mine. So, I, I mean, I understand a hundred percent. But now, Nate, I'm going to ask your question in a minute. What I'm curious though is how do you market this to companies? Because I think that's the biggest thing. As somebody, remember, I told you I did staffing, I was a business development director for a staffing firm. I now own my own company. I'm thinking of somebody coming to me and be like, hey, I can show you how to market your brand so it gets more meaningful attention. And I'm thinking like, what the hell does that mean? Like, how do you market this? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so if if a business cannot hire effectively, that business cannot grow. Fact. So how can you hire effectively? Well, there's a few ways to do it. You could put ads up on Indeed. That's one way to do it. You can kind of throw, you know, cast a large net. You can use recruiters, which which can work, but that recruiter isn't as invested because they're really a, a third party kind of thing. Uh, or you can communicate your value as a company as effectively as possible. And when you do that, you're going to naturally attract the people that are meant to be within your organization and then repel the people that are not. And just to share a little bit about our process and how that works. So the first thing we do, we do employer brand videos. So hiring videos. So if, if it was your company, Sean, we would, we would interview and survey all your employees and go, why do you work here? If you're selling it to a friend, what are the top five reasons? What's the most important thing to you? How long have you been here? And we get a whole bunch of data. We're just, we're doing a video for the city of Portsmouth for the municipality so they can hire better for the city. And we had 95 people fill out the survey handwritten stuff you know it's not just yes or no questions and we take all that data and analyze it and we can tell you exactly these are the three reasons the average reasons why everyone agrees why this is a great job from there you can do whatever you want with it you you know so you're putting that out so you know that your current employees value this 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 and this so i, I so part of meaningful relationships is sharing what you value so if you share what you value and what your values are as a company you're naturally going to attract the people that value those same things. And one of the things that companies think about 
is that, well, I can't pay. I can't pay. Believe it or not, pay is no longer one of the top things. Once you reach a certain level of pay, people don't even care how much money they're making. They'll stay for half the money if there's meaning in their work, if they feel like what they're doing is making a difference, if they have a sense of team and teamwork and community. So really, the the thing that I always say to employers on kind of how to sell it, I said, okay, what is the experience like for somebody who's going to work for you? What happened? I go, I send your resume. What happens? I go, anything? I go, did they get an email back? No. I go, hmm, that's a missed opportunity. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, if I email you for a job and you don't email me back, even though you might not be hiring me, that's a marketing opportunity. So I email you and I go, look, you're not right for the, this role, Sean, but in the future you might be. And, and, you know, please keep in touch. We know that sending out an application took a really long time for you. We know that the job search is really, really hard. And we want you to know that we got your application and we value your time. Now, let me ask you a question. If you got a rejection like that back from a oh, company. Yeah. I, I would mean, cause, cause it shows, and this is such a big thing. And as I was leaving staffing, it shows that the employer is empathetic not sympathetic, but empathetic to, hey, I'm looking for a job. I'm putting the effort into this. You're at least respecting my time and effort to reach out to you. That's huge. Yep. Absolutely. I don't know if Shane if Shane and Eric are still out there. They're two friends of mine that are still in that staffing world. Okay. Have you ever thought about reaching to fir- staffing firms? I'm just he curious. Has- I think this would be amazing for a staffing firm. Yeah. So this is still kind of new stuff, man. And uh, there's only one other company that we know of that does this, but they do it at the enterprise level. They're called Blue Ivy up in Toronto, but they work with like H&M and very large brands. We want to work with small businesses and we want to help small businesses hire because a lot of the, the so we work, work with a software development firm. They're not Google. They're like a family business, man. So they can't pay $800,000 a year for engineers. They just can't right. do it. They don't have the budget. So they have to do other things to attract people. And they do a really, really, really good job of it. So we want to be able to help the smaller companies, the companies that don't have, you know, 20 billion a year in revenue, attract talent. And, and I think there's a huge, I think there's kind of like an awakening happening and people are realizing that small business and working for a small business is a, a really can be kind of pre- preferred to working for a big company and you can really see the impact of what you're doing in a small business where whereas in a big company it's it's hard to see like what the impact is i I gotta say one thing before i forget before we run out of time so communicating that value at least in the moment and and to be you know clear and compelling communicator you have to do two things at the same time you have to be predictable in structure and unpredictable in delivery actors are the gold standard of this so as an actor, for those of you that can't see, I'm holding up a, a script. These were my lines. That's the structure. I'm I'm been told what I'm going to say is this character. I cannot deviate really from what my lines are. So there's a predictable structure. Now, I cannot decide ahead of time how our scenes, Sean. If you and I are going to do a scene together, like like you know, the way that you run your podcast is absolutely brilliant because here we are being unpredictable in delivery. I had no idea what we're going to talk about. <laughs> that's nobody ever knows what I'm going to say, but that's a whole nother Probably thing. Probably why you're, you know, one of the many reasons your listeners love you because there's, there's well, but there is a structure, right? So you yeah. started with an intro, you know, we did this there, you know, you want to honor the sponsor, there are questions like, so there is some sort of structure. We're not just like all over the place, right? but within that structure, you and I are having this wonderful moment to moment conversation where I don't know even what I'm going to say next let alone what you know the host is going to say next. So that can make things really compelling. I think that's one of the big reasons why shows like yours and these these longer form podcasts do so well nowadays. When in this in this time when when <laughs> when everything is so fast that we have no attention, how the heck are people listening right. to hours and right? It doesn't it's like counterintuitive. It it really is. And we're getting it's funny you say that because we are getting close to closing the bar here soon. So I, everything about and again folks I'm going to remind folks it's at Michael Cinquino, C-I-N-Q-U-I-N-O on Instagram, on LinkedIn, reaching out to Michael. If you've got a small business or you've got a company, like I said, I don't know if Eric and Shane didn't message me, so they may not be on. They work, they work for the staffing firm. I used to be the business development director for this is the type of thing. And this is a new approach into this that I find very interesting that I could have sold, and I'm, I'm going to just tell you, as a business development director, I would have sold this 
to my empl- to companies that if they came as I'm going into them saying, hey, I can help you find that engineer staying with that for a minute that you can't find. And one of the things I'm going to do is not just post you on LinkedIn like everybody does, not just post it on Facebook like everybody does. Oh, yes, I've got a network like everybody does, but I'm going to create this video talking about your culture and how to reach out and we're going to supply that. That's so fucking huge. That would be monstrous for finding those jobs. So I'm going to ask you a question and I might, uh, this might not work, but when you, how long were you in the Marine Corps? 20 years. When you look back on those 20 years, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Camaraderie. That was right. hundred percent. That's the Marine Corps. That's well, everything people, about it. People, yeah. you didn't say your weapons. You didn't say no, the food. <laughs> you didn't say this. You, you didn't even say travel or, or action or anything. You travel said, and adventure. <laughs> it's a, they told me it's not just a job it's an adventure that was that's the added for the navy but 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 that's that's my point man when you look back on and and i just i remember the names james curran tony tony zimmerschein jimmy searfoss but the guy i went to boot camp with called right before i got on the on the podcast i can't wait to call him we haven't spoken in a while we went to boot camp together we were in high school went to boot camp together so the the, the point I, I bring that up because at the end of the day if people don't know who you are it's very difficult to attract the kind of people that your organization might need. And if you're, if you're in an, if you're hearing this, you have a business and put yourself in the shoes of someone that's looking to work for you. When they go to your website, is there anything there at all that right. might indicate who you are and what you value? Sure. There might be an about page, but telling people that it's a hundred year old company that your father had or whatever doesn't really say a whole lot. And I give you a, a pretty good example. If you go to sharpusa.com, we didn't do the work for them, but sharpusa.com, it's sharp electronics, you know, very, very large company. You look at the above the fold, they have like employee or something like it's their, it's their employer branding. And when you go to their employer, sharpusa.com, and it says, join our winning team. When you click on explore career opportunities, it's their employer brand. And it talks about who you are. And they have a little video there. They have an employer brand video. It's not Marvel level, uh, you know, right. video. It doesn't have to be. It's just it's just some of their employees talking about why they enjoy working for Sharp. And the, the point I make is that is that people are going to see themselves in these other human beings. And that is a very, very, very powerful thing. We pour into movie theaters. We spend millions of hours on our devices watching actors because we see ourselves in these characters. So it's really just applying that to real life and going, oh, I, oh he's kind of like me or she's kind of like me. Like, Oh, like, oh, I have a similar story. Oh, like, I, you know, I came right. right out of school, you know? So it's like that leveraging and it's meaningful. And you know what the thing I love most about it, Sean? It's not bullshit, man. You're not selling, you're not bullshitting people. You're just being honest about who you are and what you value. And you cannot fail when you do that. I really believe that. I'm with you now. I'm going to say you've never had one of these. And I'm going to get Nate's question out here. I'm going to say you've never had this before, but we'll see. Nate wants to know, do you have a favorite MRE? So we didn't have MREs, man. But, uh, it. but uh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, brother. You know, we we had we had the the mess deck, man, and you know we ate all our foods on board the ship. And you know when I was when I was uh, on uh, shore duty, very very briefly, you know for eight weeks at a specialized school, you know there was a mess hall, but nope, no MREs. We did not have to rough it. Like the Marines, we all of our food was at least sort of cooked. Their beer, they're roughing it with steel beach picnics and beer on the pier. That was roughing it. (laughs) You know, that that was roughing it. So, I mean, so all these things that you you guys got going on, I mean, it's it's really incredible to me because I got to tell you, Michael, I really love the vibe to it because it's it's bringing like I I've had a I'd be the first to admit. I've had a tough struggle personally with the new work mindset. Mm, can you I talk still, a little bit on that, man? Well, what I mean by that is I still come from the mindset of, have you ever read the book, Napoleon, Napoleon Hill's Laws of yes. Success? Laws oh, of no, success. I've, uh, no, I've read them. How, no, I've read uh, Think and Grow Rich by him, but not Think that one. Think and Grow Rich is what it is. He also has another book called Laws of Success. And Laws of Success are 16 rules to truly get your shit together. And if you mm-hmm. read this, I mean, and I spend a lot of time in the car, so I I end up listening to a lot of books. 
But one of the things he talks about that I see, and I'm curious how an approach would be with what you guys do is, and it's, it's the let, it's like rule nine or something like that. And it basically says, do more than what you're paid for. Do more than what you're paid for. And eventually you will get paid more than what, than what you do. And I honestly believe that. I believe that as a Marine, I was trained to do the job of the rank ahead of me. And I didn't get paid to be an, an E8, but I did the work of an E8 as an E7 so that I could do that job. And eventually somebody would see me and say, hey, he's ready for that. But we've lost that as a culture, I believe, because everybody says, well, it's not my fucking job. It's not my job. I'm not doing that. You don't pay me to do that. So then we lose that and people don't understand why aren't you getting promoted? Or I saw a thing the other day that said employees should only stay at a job for two years because after two years, you're losing your wealth value to where you could be paid more. And I think, again, that's because you're not doing more than what you're asked for. So then no one thinks you're worth paying you more or promoting you or raising you up. So how do you guys translate that for a company that says, Hey, stick with us. We're going to do this for you. Does all that make sense? Or did I get real? Yeah, no, no. I was was pulling something up to read it. You know, I I mean, for me, the question that I've learned to ask is how can I be useful and, or is it useful? So in, in the new work world to, to leave, I mean, there is something to be said about, you know, a lot of experience leaving every two years, but I, I think maybe really, man, it just, it all comes down to values. And, you know, we're, we, one of our clients is a, a very large construction firm in Massachusetts that built things like the Dartmouth Fieldhouse and part of Fenway Park. And they got a guy that has been there 30 years, man. Right. So I, I think, I think really the door swings both ways in that if you're an employer, you need to do what you can to make sure that if someone gives you 20 years or 10 years, you can continue to to keep them on. I know things happen, man. And like, you know, as a business owner myself, like anything can happen and like you might have to lay everybody off through no fault of your own. Right. But I, 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 I really feel like, I mean. I got to get you in with Patrick Hyalinski. Uh, please. I don't know who that is, though. I, I know. I'll get you. In. I mean, I guess the short answer for me is like, there's a quote. Okay. So I guess it's, and I looked it up while you were speaking. One of our rules, we steal this, and I think it's from McKinsey or some big consulting firm. But one of our kind of principles at Soho is that, and this I'm reading this, we will only undertake an engagement if we can agree to our mutual satisfaction that the value we are creating is greater than the price our client is paying. Meaning that you believe that whatever you paid, you're going to get at least more than that and not the same level. So the money that you're giving us is going to equate. Now, Sean, as a, as a creative, that sometimes can be difficult to measure, man. Right. It can, be, it can be difficult to go, well, here it is. At the same time, it sometimes isn't difficult to measure. And you can see the reflection of, of what you're doing. But I, I really feel like asking how you can be useful and trying to be as useful as humanly possible you know, one of my own personal principles is to be useful in spite of obstacle and grateful in spite of circumstances, which is easy to say, you know, especially if something really goes wrong to be like, oh, it's grateful that this terrible thing happened to me. But I really have learned to try to reframe things. And when I meet somebody, how can I be useful to Sean? What can I do for him? How can I be useful to this other human being who's running a show? How can I be a good guest? What can I talk about? Get it returned to you. But that's the thing. It comes back automatically because the value you have in your own life is in direct proportion to the value you add to the lives of others. And the more value you add, the more value you become, valuable you become. I, I really believe it. Now, I understand there's ungrateful companies out there and people that, you know, you, you might be making this, you know, that you really should be making a lot more. But, you know, bouncing from thing to thing to thing and chasing dollars. I mean, I guess I guess that works, you know, but I don't even know any very wealthy people who are just sitting around. No. Look, no, not at all. But it's funny you say this, and I'm a faith, I'm a very faith-based person, always have been, and this is something that came up just recently, and it's funny in what you say, Moses Moses asked God, what's your name? He said, I am. And if you think about that, and they, we're all told you're made in the image of God, so you are, you I am, I am you, I am whatever you say you am. And 
that's what this is. When I hear what you're saying right now, it's I am. If I go to work and I say, I am valuable, I am going to be a help, I am going to support these people, I am going to get better. That's what you're going to get back from that process is I am getting this back. I am having this handed to me. I am part of this. I love this mindset, Michael. I absolutely love it. You know, we, we have a lot in common, man. I really truly believe. And when I re- when I learned this, it was terrifying. You will only get what you reflect out into the world. 100%. So whatever you're reflecting out into the world, that's exactly what you're going to get right back in your face. So no matter what your circumstances are, if you're reflecting out negativity and poison in this, that's exactly what's going to come back to you. And it sucks, but that's a law of the land. And then for, you know, speaking of faith, I was introduced to an expression just recently, a very, very simple expression that really blew my mind. And I write it on my planner every day. And it's from Joan of Arc. And she says, act and God will act. And I remind myself, like, act. Like, and as an, and bringing it full circle to acting, it's lights, camera, action. <laughs> Think about to. it. Doubt yourself, bitch, complain. No. And it's like, do something. And it's like, I, I tell this to my students, my undergraduate students, do something, like, act, do something. Well, I don't know. You know, a, a Navy SEAL said, you know, if you don't know your purpose, act as if you have, seek until you find it. But until then, act as if you have it because you're just wasting time. So and I got one for you. Please. You can tell this to all your students. You know, probably the, so I plenty of things from the Marine Corps, but one of the biggest things the Marine Corps ever taught me is the only wrong choice is not making one. There's no such thing. Like too many people get wrapped in it. Well, I don't want to make a mistake right here. This is going to, the only wrong decision is not making one. Can I, I can I, I I don't know if I should kick this door and there could be a bad guy behind it. You better kick that some bitch in right now and, and come out guns a blazing or step back and let a javelin em- enter in before you do. That's May it. I reflect back to you and, and bring 100%. the Marine Corps and creativity together with another quote? hundred percent. There is nothing that will keep you from being creative so quickly as the fear of making a mistake. Amen. Listen, folks, Michael and I could probably talk and and give you all kinds of different quotes and other shit that we've heard over the years. The only there's that one. Don't come to me with problems. Come to me with solutions. All all the other shit that was said to me over the years. Most of it started with, hey, devil dog. And for him, it was probably, hey, shipmate. That's how our lives started for a long time. And then we figured out, I don't want you to call me that no more. So we figured things out. So listen. Go check out if you're if you're listening to the audio version of this, make sure you check it out. Michael Cinquino, C-I-N-Q-U-I-N-O at Instagram on LinkedIn. Give him a like, give him a follow. It may sound cliche. I say this every week, but as cliche as it sounds to like, share, follow, subscribe, do all those things to what we have going on. I know you you watch the kids, your nieces, your nephews, your own children, and they're like, like, share, follow, subscribe. Hit that like button. I know it sounds cliche, but listen to me, folks, that they understand how these algorithms work. We understand how these algorithms work. You taking the time and doing that is how people find us. It's how people find Michael. If you're finding me through Michael and Michael through me, please do that for me. Go on to Apple. Give me a five-star rating. Give me something going on here. Go on to Facebook. Give the show a follow. See what we've got going on. If Nate's still hanging out, Nate's going to love next week's show. We have on next next week a young lady by the name of Gemma. Gemma. She goes by Gemma Ringside. She is, and this is going to be a weird one because I drink. Uh, she's like 14 or 15 years old. I know her family. But she is the youngest manager in professional wrestling. Wow. And th- you want to talk about, you know what? Let me grab the bull by the horns and make it happen. This young lady I met her at the International Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame inductions. She was there with her mom and her dad. I was like, you're incredible. So we're going to have her on next week, and she's going to talk to us about what does it mean at that age to be mentored by through legends, people that paved the way back when women weren't able to do these things, or if they were, they better be a face and they better be an outfit and all these things. And this young lady is coming out guns a-blazing to make it happen. Now, 
Michael, I'm, again, we talked about this. This is episode 221. We figured it out before the show. So I know you've watched all 220 other ones. Oh, don't, log, don't log off right away after this is over. We got to talk for a minute. Now, we do this on every episode, on every show. The guest always gets the final word. So before we log off, what's our final word? Act as if you have faith and faith will be given to you. But you got to act. Alrighty, folks, be sure to push your stool in. This has been a Second Front Podcast presentation found on Apple, Spotify, and wherever podcasts can be found. <laughs>